Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Friends, compatriots, comrades, it's the Gravity Podcast. <laughs> you just put us on some, uh, we're on some domestic list now. Because you, yeah, right, yeah. There's, communist uh, lingo. Uh, apologize, apologize. This is, this is 2023, Ben. You can't just go around there, throwing out know? collectivist terms and think there's there, going to be no reprisals. Right, right. Um, yes, at least I didn't just call us all communists or something. <laughs> I guess. Oh my, jeez. Although now we are on some list. You know, speaking of lists, uh, there is somebody in one of my coaching cohorts right now who is a um, uh, who, who's kind of a he, he's a missionary in a country where you're not like supposed to be a missionary. You know what I mean? Like, like like teaches. Yeah. Like a secret, like like a Christian presence there. No, I'm not going to say his name or, or or even the country. Um, But he, on our, even on our cohorts, he has to be really careful what he says. He, he said, he tells us. So like he, he says M word and he says, you know, things like that. I was like, wow, this it's really interesting that there's like, I don't know. AI listening devices out there, like listening for keywords to like investigate things. Yeah. I, don't know, I found that fascinating. It's so a who big knows? deal. Yeah. I don't know. So careful what you say, Matt. Yeah, I, I do. You know, careful. Matt is always careful. Of all of us says. here, yeah. I think all, that I have all of the us are, Matt. tightest lips. It's hard. It's hard to get Matt to say things. So. <laughs> oh. You guys are picking on me. Oh, guys, I guess I'll just be quiet. Matt, we love you. We love you. Um, you know, you know what it, I love? Yeah. yeah, okay. Ben, besides me, besides you mm-hmm. loving me, I love mm. I love that you love me. <laughs> besides that, um, I love uh, this little retreat that we're doing coming up. Oh, hey. Yes, it's coming like yeah. two weeks, yeah? It is. Yeah. Tell the, us about uh, it. The Bright Sadness Retreat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, we do have two more spots available. There's uh, 10 people signed up. Um, and, and it is, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it sort of left my brain for half a second. So when you, <laughs> when you said that retreat, I was like, oh yeah, what is that? So hmm. no, um, but yeah, August, um, I don't have the dates in front of me. What is it? August 31st through September it's 2nd. Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Labor, Labor Day, Day weekend. weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, yeah. If you're in ministry, you can get back in time uh, for Sunday. Yeah, if you need to be. Um, but yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday here in Indianapolis, there's a retreat center um, that we're hosting it at. All the beds at the retreat center are taken. But if you want to come, there's um, bed and breakfast or you can find an Airbnb or something uh, close by. Options. But yeah, we're just going to be processing uh, grief from the last, you know, <laughs> few Which, years. 
Listen, those listeners who just heard like bright sadness, we're going to process mm-hmm. grief. Some of them are like, I'm mm. not signing up, but they yeah. might be the one that should sign up. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love y'all listeners, <laughs> but yeah. like, it's so important and yeah. so mm. hard, but so worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're on the fence, sign up because it. I think it yeah. would be worth it. Yeah. And I would say not everybody probably should sign up, you know, but if you do have a sense yeah, if you have a sense that there's just unprocessed kind of sadness, grief, loss over the last few years. I mean, the pandemic, I think we're still unraveling what yeah. happened to our bodies, what happened to our relationships. Um, I don't think we fully understand it all. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to be working <laughs> the retreat. So I won't, Matt and I won't have a ton of time uh, to process ourselves. But I think even as we prepare uh, for the retreat, um, uh, I'm looking forward to having a little bit of time outside of my normal work schedule to just think about, you know, mm-hmm. what, 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 what have I lost? What have I, and then, but it's also about joy, you know, so the bright, the, there's the sadness part, but there's a bright part uh, as well that um, a lot of the writers about grief talk about that. They talk about how paradoxically grief and joy seem to go together. And mm-hmm. so we're trusting that there's going to, in our processing and naming of our uh, grief in, in a safe space uh, with a good food, um, that there's also going to be joy uh, that we find bubbling up within us. But anyway. Well, and if you want more than a weekend, oh. you can always sign up for my dissertation study cohort <laughs> to Speaking do of all to of sign your emotions, you yeah. know, like the whole gamut of emotions. Uh, I'm doing, it's called Kingdom Emotions and studying does growing your emotional intelligence increase your perceived intimacy with God? Yeah, um, okay. I think it does, but there's got to be study around it. So it's starting September 7 through December 7, uh, and it's on every Thursday. You have to sign up. You have to do some research stuff for me, like fill out surveys and sign a consent and all that free? jazz. But it's free, and yeah. um, it's 7.30 to 9, which for those of you who are Eastern time, that's like 9.30 to 11. Yeah. Some of you are night people, so it's okay. Yeah, you can stay up. Um, yeah, yeah, so – um, you're up till 11 looking at Instagram anyway. Or or Pinterest to figure out probably. like fingernail polish colors. You guys, oh, I know you're not of, really into fingernail yep. polish, but, but check this out. Look uh-huh. at my fingernails. Okay. I never get my fingernails painted. Well, that's yeah. not true. I just don't often. Listener, yeah, go ahead. Explain that. What does that look like? Then? Yeah. So to me, listener, I'm looking at Christy's uh, two, like her two, her two middle fingers are, um, they've got like, it looks like Japanese, like a Japanese, uh, screen. Um, like what you would paint on a Japanese screen. What one of those like standing screens? Is that what you were were trying to evoke? Well, I went, I Hmm. took my, my son's girlfriend to get her fingernails Mm -hmm. painted yesterday. And I went too, it's like a little girl time. And, um, yeah, they painted it pink and then he like took this little tiny brush and actually like freehand painted these like oh, really? leaves and That's Japanese impressive. art on it. It looks so cool. And I just stare at it all the time. It, they look so. great. Yeah. <laughs> Listener. Anyway. I wish you could see it. I know. I'll, my put, description. It on, I'll put it on Instagram. They okay. can like see a picture of my fingers Follow on Instagram. Follow Christy Penley on Instagram <laughs> and you can find it. Anyway, All that's right. not anything about what our interview is about today. No, but uh, but do please uh, check out those things out and, and sign up. I think you can just email you, Christy, right? If they're yeah. interested, Christy at yep. gravityleadership.com. Do it, and then right. I will send you all the info. 
And then the, 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 the retreat, well, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's just abrightsadness.eventbrite.com. Yeah. I'm looking All right. Well, to what are we doing today? Well, we're talking to Andrew Whited, mm, who's right. written a book called American Idolatry. So Andrew is a um, sociologist of religion who lives here in town with where Ben and I are, and we're friends, and he teaches at a college downtown, a university, sorry, downtown. Uh, he's a great guy, and he's a wonderful researcher, and I think he's really identified some ways that Christian nationalism betrays the gospel of Jesus. And it's a, it, yep. it's a pernicious uh, seduction these days. There's, yeah. um, it went from maybe um, sort of the periphery uh, eight yeah. years ago, and now it's being conflated with patriotism even. Yeah. And, and even like faithfulness uh, to Jesus like that, that's, uh, it, it, it is interesting how it went from, and we can maybe talk about this in, we're going to do a follow-up episode, Matt, that maybe you can talk to us about uh, next week. So stay tuned. This is going to be a two-parter, not with Andrew, but we wanted to follow up on some of uh, what Andrew uh, talked about in this interview. Um, But it was interesting. I I saw Christian nationalism sort of, it was almost like people started sounding the alarm about it. And they were like, hey, wait, these ideas that that some people are talking about are Christian nationalist ideas. And the predominant narrative was like, no, they're not. No, it's not. But very quickly it went to, yes, it is. And that's good. (laughs) Yeah. And there's there's some, there's some like people out there who it's not like they're uh, accidentally or secretly uh, holding these views. They're like openly advocating for these things to be, that's like, this is the most faithful way to be a Christian. And uh, yeah, it, it takes your breath away a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to talk about next week. And I think we haven't actually talked the three of us about this, but Matt, I think it would be really helpful to hear tips on how to talk to people who have, who are that strong. Because I find myself in these conversations and then I'm like, I don't know what to say right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, part of the part of the problem is, and this is a larger uh, conversation about sort of um, about how reality and language and truth work in uh, extremist kind of re- um, political times. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. A lot of Christian nationalists have a lot of the same kind of uh, attributes and tactics that like fascists have. And right. it's really difficult to use reason and rationality uh, with people who don't, whose version of reality doesn't cohere with what actually is. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. like I had, a, I had a friend, sorry, let me share this line. I had a friend who Florida recently released their new educational requirements. Um, yeah. and part of, and part of that was a, um, uh, what part of the curriculum to teach was talking about how slavery taught the enslaved, uh, life skills right. <laughs> they could use when they were free. Right. It wasn't and, all bad. Yeah, it, so it was kind of like framing it as like, um, let's talk about the good of slavery, right? So mm-hmm. I posted something about how this is just egregious. And a friend of mine who is a conservative, um, like kind of went off like, Hey, the, the board that put these things together, they, they, there, there's somebody sat on the civil rights commission. And, um, this is a very small part of the, of the curriculum. And, um, Kamala Harris was doing this for partisan, uh, playing partisan politics by complaining about it. And I went through and like 
sent this person like, you know, the the guy who sat on the Civil Rights Commission, he was like a January 6th, like conspiracy theorist guy. Mm. And he, and he, he's not even a historian. Like he's, and, mm. and like he basically is getting paid by DeSantis and the Florida government to like, you know, put his black name on this racist educational material. And so I send him all these things, right? right. Can't assume Kamala Harris's motive. How do you, how are yeah. you as a white guy going to tell a black woman that she's doing this not out of integrity, you know? Right. Um, and, and, and then some pretty bad stuff came out about, you know, uh, when, 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 when Kamala Harris said these things, the state of Florida released a press release and was like, here's a list of all these ex-slaves who learned all these different skills in slavery. And over 80% of the people on that list either were never slaves or didn't do what they said they were doing. <laughs> right. And so I, I like showed this, I showed my friend, like, these people aren't competent to write educational material or put their name on it. Even when they try to defend it, it's just not true. And there's just radio silence. Yeah, just it radio doesn't silence. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, there. I think there is a whole podcast, Chrissy, to do mm. on how do we stand against like weaponized lies. Yeah. Lies, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. The lie that the lie that um, brown people from Mexico are bringing drugs into our country in a way that is not in a disproportionate way. And that's just not true. Like white people sell and use drugs to a greater degree than immigrants coming from Mexico. It doesn't, but that doesn't matter. And, you know, there's 10,000 of those things that we could talk about, but I think, I think it's important to talk about how do we, how do we not just lay down and play dead? Yeah. Or, or just continue to fight with, facts when it, it doesn't actually do anything yeah, facts don't you know matter <laughs> yeah which yeah, is it's hard which is part of how fascist propaganda works yeah this is this is um what i learned from jason stanley who wrote a great yeah. book how fascism works well yeah. and in gravity we talk a lot about what does it look to love somebody yeah. it's got a grace and truth calibrated together and yeah. that's what i'm saying like i struggle to understand yeah. how do i actually calibrate both of those yes. things together yes. in these types of conversations so yeah if you want to join us next week, we will we'll chat about we will, it. Yes, we will. But just for today, things. for uh, today, yes, we have the, the first part. <laughs> yes, right. we do. All right. Well, here is Andrew Whited talking about what Christian nationalism is and why it betrays the gospel, how it is a form of idolatry. Get him. It's super compelling. Go get him, Andrew. <laughs> here we go. Andrew Whited joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's an associate professor of sociology at Indiana, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, where he co-directs the Association of Religion Data Archives at the Center for the Study of Religion and American Culture. He's the co-author of Taking America Back for God, Christian Nationalism in the U.S., which won the 2021 Distinguished Book Award 
from the Society for the Scientific Study of Religion. He's written for the Washington Post, NBC News, Time, and RNS, and speaks frequently about Christian nationalism. Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you both again. Yep, yeah. Andrew is um, uh, lives in the Indianapolis area, so we know him, and uh, he and I have had lunch together a number of times, and teaches, he teaches at the college that Ben's wife and two daughters go to. No, not my wife. She doesn't go there, but she my go two there? daughters. No, oh, she doesn't. I thought she did. <laughs> anyway, but my, yes, my, uh, There's my still two time. daughters. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, my my two daughters go to IUPUI. Oh, they recently awesome. rebranded, didn't they, to IU Indy? Yeah, so fall 2024, it'll officially be Indian okay. University, Indianapolis. So, right, yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, we had Andrew on the podcast previously with uh, his co-author, Sam, to talk about their book um, that they wrote mm-hmm. together that won the award. And we're having him back on the podcast today. Uh, today, when this podcast is being released, is the release day for his new book, American Idolatry, How Christian Nationalism Betrays the Gospel and Threatens the Church. You just can't get enough of Christian nationalism. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's me or American <laughs> Christianity, but um, yeah, at least I, yeah, I'm trying to respond to it. That's for sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, give us a sense. I know we talked about this in our first podcast, but uh, give us a sense about how, why this is important to you. So some of your history as a Christian mm-hmm. and how you began to be able to see and name some of these forces that you name in the book. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so in the book, to this book really is kind of the result of kind of two journeys. So one professional and then one personal. Um, so as a Christian and, and that personal faith journey. So professionally, um, which really is, you know, taking America back for God is a part of that that journey of just mm-hmm. trying to understand why Americans think, believe, act, vote the way that they do. And we found that this measure of Christian nationalism over and above a person's politics, over and above their personal religiosity, it really explained a lot. So just knowing, do they believe a certain expression of Christianity should be privileged, um, it tells us a lot about how they see the world. And so that was really interesting just as a social scientist. But then, you know, as a as a Christian and in my personal faith journey, growing up in you know a small town in northern Indiana, where um, and we all live in Indiana, um, mm-hmm. you know this is just kind of the air we breathe, right? It's mm-hmm. just around everybody, and in this community and in the um, churches I attended growing up, um, filled with wonderful people who loved me and, and taught me, you know, and kind of communicated, you know, loving Jesus, loving the Bible, all these things. Um, but for them mm-hmm. and for me growing up, um, kind of this understanding of what it means to be a good American is to be Christian and to be a good Christian, right? Support America. Um, that there was really no space between that and and you know true Christianity. They were one and the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on my you know personal faith journey, there were moments where you know that taken for grantedness um, kind of you know holes started to be punched in it just little things. And so as I started to wrestle with, okay, you know, being a a true American or, you know, supporting America in this way, doesn't that seem (laughs) to put me at odds with following Jesus, you know, and just little things. And so that kind of conversation started. And so with this book, it really is kind of the culmination of those two journeys um, where for me, it's, you know, continuing on to try and figure out um, how to faithfully follow Jesus and, and move towards expressions of Christianity that I think 
um, you know, are following um, the kingdom of God and, and living into that um, and understand the difference between that and kingdoms of this world or, you know, America, that type of stuff. So yeah, it really is the culmination of those two, those two journeys. Yeah. You, you detail in the book, um, that conversation you had with your youth pastor, right? where, uh, w- would you just, would you just recount that for us? Cause I feel like there's these liminal moments mm-hmm. that are like Ebenezer's where you don't see things the same way again. You have to restructure the constellation of how I make sense of the world and myself and God. So I thought it was a, a really pregnant kind of moment. Would you just recount that for us? Yeah. So I, I grew up in and attended a large white evangelical megachurch. Um, and so, Growing up, I had some, you know, issues at home. And so going to church, right, was a place where I felt accepted and loved. Um, and so I was there all the time. And so this was a big part of my life and, and taught me so much about the faith. And we would take these yearly trips to um, the, you know, the shores of Lake Erie and go to Cedar Point and stay at a, a little, you know, campground there. And um, yeah, and talking with my youth pastor at the time, almost offhand, he mentioned um, and kind of questioned, you know, whether Christians could go to other countries to fight for America and America's interests, quote unquote, um, and kill other people. And and he even put it in terms of like killing other Christians, you know, would God want that for us? And so just in that moment, um, it wasn't something I'd actively thought about where now my identity or, or trying to live according to, you know, Jesus' teachings was in direct conflict with this idea of, well, if America needs to go to war, then we need to go to war and support America. And so these boundaries of us versus them were were not so clear anymore, right, for me. And so that was one of those key moments where I don't even know if we continue the conversation, but it just stuck in my mind. And and this identity of being a Christian, this identity of being American wasn't so neatly right. um, dovetailing anymore. And, and so that was one of those key moments. Right. You, you don't explicitly make this connection in the book, but I, I'm just struck by how later in the book you talk about sort of um, uh, the main parts of the machine that is Christian nationalism. And you talk about fear, violence, and power. Mm-hmm. But but it's striking to me how war brings together all three of those things in, in a, um, a ritualized way even. Like there's, a, there's kind of a religious uh, sanctity to war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think to motivate, you know, throughout history, and I guess too, it, it isn't just America, it isn't just Christianity, world religions and nations have been doing this for <laughs> for as long as we've recorded history, but to motivate people to go kill other people takes a lot, right? Yeah. And yeah. when we when you hear about people that train folks for military service, it's, you have to really train them to be able to take that step to then take a life, right? That is not an easy step, obviously. Yeah. But when we baptize that in the will of the sacred, mm. you know, and, and this isn't my quote, a number of people have said this, but um, when people believing, believe they're doing something for God, they're willing to do anything almost, right? Because they believe God or the Christian God or gods want them to do this. That is yeah. strong motivator. And so, yeah, yeah. I think the idols of Christian nationalism of power, fear, and violence really do come together and, and find um, one of their most, one of the strongest expressions of that in warfare and in violence, um, which, yeah, I think American Christians really need to wrestle with that. We shouldn't so easily 
just yeah. move into those things. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. You know, you name power and fear and violence as these three forces, and then you connect Christian nationalism to racism and xenophobia and even patriarchy mm-hmm. as these kind of like interconnected ideologies that support and sustain Christian nationalism. Um, can you can you talk a bit about why it's important to sort of name all these interconnected factors when we're talking about Christian nationalism? Yeah, you know, I think it's important for a number of reasons. Um, one is to understand how we got here, right? And so our history is is so important because that sets the context for where we find ourselves. So as a social scientist and gathering data and you know the the empirical evidence that um, these surveys hand us about what Christian nationalism is linked to, we have to know how we got here. And so our history is key. And so power and fear and violence are part of those narratives, part of those movements, leaders, um, organizations, they're using these things. So I think that's one reason why. And I think the other reason why it's important to to focus on some of those idols, and, and honestly, um, those are three important ones, but I think there are more just the book can't just keep growing. But, you know, Matt, this uh, is right in your wheelhouse when we, we talk about, um, as you call it frequently, mammon. Oh, that's right. I love language, man. Yeah. That's You're speaking my language. Yeah. Capitalism and, and, and yeah, mammon is, is tightly intertwined with all of these as well. And, and I kind of mentioned that in the book here and there. But, but with these three idols, I think the other reason it's important to know um, the elements that make up this cultural framework is that now for leaders in religious spaces like you all or the people that are part of Gravity Leadership Podcast, they don't necessarily even have to talk to folks about Christian nationalism. But can we, but what we can do is start to think and and wrestle with how does Jesus think about and interact with self-interested power, right? Power mm-hmm. that only benefits the in-group. Or how how have Christians and expressions of Christianity thought about group level fear, right? Fear that something is being taken away from us. How could we respond to that faithfully or Mm. violence based on those boundaries that are drawn around us based on fear, because we're afraid that we're going to lose the privileges that we have, the power that we have. How can expressions of Christianity wrestle with those? And I think the reason that's important to break those three out is that now it it will take discipleship and being able to think through okay as a christian i've been taught or you know in my organization or this community i'm a part of this is what 
this is how we should think about when people are telling us to be afraid of the other. So then when I get that message, I know how to respond. And, and in doing that, I think then we're able to start to confront and oppose Christian nationalism. Um, because honestly, with that term, most people may not know what it is. Or because it is a cultural framework, it's big, it's taken for granted, um, we really have to be able to poke holes yeah. in some of those elements. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, this I wonder, this just occurred to me, and your book doesn't touch on this um, specifically, but in the spirit of opposing and confronting Christian nationalism, right? So Christian nationalism makes scapegoats of the other, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you talk about in your book that there's usually, there's a religious other, there's ethnic others, right? There's yeah. ideological others, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's this really vast and creative slash demonic mythologies around that, right? So there's people living under the White House drinking baby's blood. And that's right, why right. that's why you have to vote for me, right? Yeah. Um, so what is the difference between a Christian nationalist othering let's say a Mexican asylum uh, immigrant hmm. or, a, or a Cameroonian asylum seeker. And you, Ben and I, talking about a Christian nationalist as an other, hmm. right? What, what, how do we oppose and confront Christian nationalism without fear, violence, and misusing power? Yeah, that's a great question. And so the way that I always like to think about this, write about this, is that I'm, I'm not interested in identifying if someone is a Christian nationalist as if mm. it's some sort of binary. And mm. we see empirically that when we measure this, it really is a spectrum. Yeah. And so I always want to focus on Christian nationalism, the cultural framework. That's good. Right? That's good. Because then if we start to identify folks or they identify with it, if we talk about these aspects of it, um, all they're going to do is feel attacked. Right. Um, and, and we need to be really clear that even though I'm critiquing Christian nationalism and there are Christians who strongly embrace it and, you know, I would vote differently than them. I would not want to see them, you know, drafting legislation, all those things. Um, but they are Christians, right? We can't say that, oh, they're not real Christians or that's not mm -hmm. real Christianity. Um, it is. There are many expressions, and I think there are some that are more faithful and less harmful, and then there are some that are maybe less faithful and more harmful. And so I think focusing on the cultural framework, the ideology, the elements of it, um, and not not trying to just label folks or thinking that there's something essential about them that can't be redeemed. I mean, I accepted the tenets of Christian nationalism, but over time saw and wanted to follow it, you know, more faithfully as I interacted with other folks or listen to the voices of the marginalized, those types of things. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really important. And so that's what I want to do in the book. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we should do because I think you're right. It does then become this, I, this thing where, okay, we're on different teams and um, that's it. Um, I yeah. really want to be able to encourage that conversation, but also um, that doesn't mean that we're, and maybe we can talk about this, you know, oh, we're come uh, some sort of third way. I don't think that is where we land either. <laughs> I think we're we're supposed to land with those who are being crushed, and that's what we yeah. have to look for. Um, that's, that's an important point, Andrew, and I know we've talked about this before, but um, the third way keeps you out of the way of the harm that the marginalized are suffering. Yes, that's and, exactly right. And you end up, it's a, so it's a privileged position. It is, yeah, privileged. It ends up, it ends up uh, chaplaining the supremacy cultures that are hurting other people because you're providing, you're, you're not opposing them, 
and you're and you're equating the wrong of say someone protesting injustice and doing injustice, you're equating those as equal wrongs. Right. Right. And you end up <laughs> supremacy splaining. Can I say that? Supremacy splaining <laughs> how marginalized people should be doing uh, justice work without without any stake or experience mm-hmm. yeah. of why they're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that's exactly it. Where um, when we're looking at this idea of of opting out. Um, that is a privileged position. And and the reason that some of us are able to do that is because those, um, politics, legislation or whatever, aren't coming for us, right? Our embodied experience doesn't place us in the crosshairs. And so it's easy for me to say, well, I just want to stay above all this, or I'm a Christian and and I'm just not going to be about this um, because it's not going to directly affect us. But when it does, and for folks who have different skin colors or come from different countries, they, their embodied experience, um, they don't get that option to opt out, right? It's coming Mm -hmm. for them. And I think as Christians to practice neighbor love, and as I try to explore in the book, that that should push us towards them to then mm-hmm. leverage um, our privilege um, and and to work to help them be able to access many of the wonderful benefits of living in America. And there's mm-hmm. more than enough here for us all to flourish. It's not a zero sum game. And so those types of things, um, yeah, I think it's it's so so important to think through those. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really helpful uh, way of articulating, I think, what's wrong with some of that discourse, which I, I used to identify with, you know, and, and Same think, here. I yeah. think it was very, you know, I thought it was very, I was like, oh, that describes me, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm neither left nor right, you know, but, but this, <laughs> you know, um, but I, I think at the end of the day, all it does is sort of uh, assuage our conscience, you mm-hmm. know, as privileged people um, and allow us to sort of even, it's almost like, um, I mean, I don't want to. I, I came from it, but it's almost it's almost a form because it lacks that embodied solidarity with those who are being crushed, which mm-hmm. I think is is a very good way of putting it. As you did, um, because it lacks that, it almost becomes a form of virtue signaling. Mm. It's like the the people that are the people that I'm trying to communicate to are other privileged people who are arguing about ideas. Meanwhile, there are actual people being harmed by policies that. Now, now I've just opted out of that whole conversation. I don't even have to think about that because I, I'm neither right nor left, but I believe in King Jesus, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, you know, Jamar Tisby has this great metaphor where um, kind of like those moving walkways at the airport, mm-hmm. um, oh, if yeah. you can walk with it and move pretty quick, or you can just stand there and it's going to carry you forward. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so when we're thinking, and I think this third way too really does tend to ignore and allow blinders to be put on. And I think mm-hmm. Christian nationalism does this too, um, to maintain an ignorance to the social systems and how they've been created over time and throughout history yeah. that do benefit some groups over others. And in, a, mm-hmm. in America, that has been racial, right? right. Um, how right. we were founded and how that all started. Exactly. And so he's, you know, and as he completes the metaphor, the only way if you're going to, again, um, side with marginalized, and he's talking about racial justice, and I think mm-hmm. it applies too with Christian nationalism, is we can be content to be carried along and say, oh, we're standing still, we're opting out, but we're mm-hmm. still being carried along. It's only yeah. when we turn around and walk against that we're actually moving toward um, yeah. a different world and trying to push against it. Right. So, Yeah, uh, that's such an apt metaphor too, because, uh, you know, I imagine what would happen I'm going to be flying next week, you know, going to the airport. Like imagine what would happen if you started walking the opposite way. I mean, you, 
people would be like, what the heck are you doing? Like, you yeah. know, like this isn't <laughs> totally. what this is for. So even yeah. that experience, I think is another reason that um, it's subconscious for a lot of us. But I think for mm-hmm. me, that was another reason to avoid actual solidarity with those who are being crushed with the marginalized, because you're going to get for everybody else who's content to just ride the, you know, the moving walkway, you know, you're, you, now you're a problem. You're a little yeah. bit of a, like, like, why are you walking the wrong way, man? Like, yeah, what, totally. like what's your issue? You know, yeah. why I are you mean, making life hard for us? Yeah, totally. And so, you know, one kind of pointed example of that too, for me is speaking out against Christian nationalism and then having a family member ask me if I'm even a Christian still, yeah, right? right? Because they're yeah. so intertwined, like seeing you move against it must mean that you've, you know, right. yeah, you've abandoned everything. Right. Yeah. 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 You, I want to, I want to back up to a comment you made about like giving more people access to the wonderful privilege that mm. you get to experience in being in, uh, in the United States, right? Being an American. Right. I think there's a common, common way of framing this discourse is mm. that if you love your country and you think Christian values should, you know, inform how the country's run, then, then you're a Christian nationalist, right? Mm. Uh, right. But, but I would say, Andrew, mm. that you love America and think that Christian values should inform public policy, but mm-hmm. you oppose Christian nationalism. Can yes. you say more about why? Yes. Yeah, this is really important point. Um, so it, it really comes down to, to this understanding of power and what power is. So power is the ability to get others to do what you want them to do despite their resistance. Um, and if we're going to be talking about politics or just being engaged in our civil society— we're going to have to engage with power. That is just necessary. And I don't see how you can be a Christian or an American and not be involved in civil society right. um, to some extent. That's a pretty broad statement, but we'll just say, you know, more or less. So the difference is, is a sense of power that is focused on benefiting um, a particular group. Um, and so I call it self-interested power. Mm. And so you can advocate in the political sphere for certain things and want to use that power, but then the benefit is only to you and your group. What we need and what Christians, I think, should do is not move away from power or say all power is evil. That's somewhat of that kind of third way opting out. But no, we, we move towards power and the expressions of power that are focused on um, siding with the marginalized, those who are being oppressed, to help ensure that they are no longer treated in that way. So here's the example. The civil rights movement was led by many, obviously, religious leaders. And one of the outcomes of the civil rights movement was the Civil Rights Act. So that's literal Mm -hmm. legislation that made a pretty large minority of Americans who did not want to give equal rights to minorities and especially yeah. black Americans. So that's power being executed, right? This getting them to do what they don't want to do despite their resistance. But what it's focused on is opening up the democratic process to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't self-interested power. It's power used to benefit all. Yeah. So it isn't as though the civil rights movement was saying, okay, now only black people can vote and white people can't vote anymore. <laughs> right, right. What they're saying is, yeah. hey, we should have the same rights and access to the democratic process as everyone else. Mm-hmm. But the key, I think, for many white American Christians, including myself, I'm not pointing fingers, I was, I'm a part of this as well, is that when you're, and it's kind of this quip that we have in sociology, but when you're used to privilege, equality feels like discrimination. Yes. Right? And so this idea of just sharing 
right? The, the aspect that everybody has the same um, ability to participate. I think for many white Americans over in, throughout history, then it feels like, well, now we're being discriminated against. But really all it is, is power being utilized to benefit everyone. And mm-hmm. that's what I think Christians should be about. How can we influence civil society so that all can benefit from again we were born here by historical accident right we didn't choose (laughs) to be americans um and so i think then there's a responsibility um where you know we should be open with that kind of like the the parable of um i'm gonna get this wrong but you you both are clergy so you can help fix it (laughs) in the backup but um Right where where the I think he was a money manager or something where he had a huge debt forgiven, mm-hmm. um, but then he didn't forgive even right. the small debt of somebody else. And right. so, you know, we should at least a little bit of fear and trembling think I don't want to take for granted all I've been mm-hmm. given and just keep that from everyone else. Yeah. I think we'll be held accountable, right, for mm-hmm. how we use what we've been given. I guess the the talents too is another one. We could just mash these up. But yeah. anyways, I think that's getting at some of what you're you're talking about, Matt. And I think that is a key um, through line in the book, right? It isn't just opting out, but it's mm-hmm. um, abdicating just this self-interested power to privilege me and us. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really helpful distinction. And when you, when you first mentioned that self-interested power, I thought that was a, yeah, uh, just a really helpful way of distinguishing kind of the operations that we're talking mm. about, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, banning books that uh, talk about, you know, African-American yeah. history versus passing the civil rights legislation, right? So right. enforcing, you know, enforcing, you know, desegregation and all that kind of thing. Like they're yeah. very different kinds of uses of power. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the through lines that I've seen in talking with others, uh, uh, you know, about this is, is just that, that one of the reasons that um, people who identify with, uh, you know, some of the tenets of Christian nationalism, one of the reasons they oppose those kinds of, you know, pieces of legislation and policy is that something that benefits everybody, like by definition, does not privilege me over anybody else or my yeah. group yeah. over anybody else. And that That's is the point. sticking point is yeah. like, and that requires some kind of conversion, I think, doesn't yeah. it? Like it yeah. requires some kind of conversion for me to trust that I'm not, losing anything that I wouldn't want to lose Mm. by leveraging my power on behalf of people who aren't like me, people who are, you know, um, you know, different from me, ideologically different from me, racially, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just, it requires a, a letting down of our guard. There's a, there's a fear that we have to let go of. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a, it's deeply challenging to overcome that. I think. Yeah. No, Ben, I think that's a wonderful point. And I think too, as you know, as you all lead um, within your congregation, um, I think a lot of times American Christians, we don't, and I know I don't, really grasp how radical the call is, <laughs> right, yeah. to follow Jesus um, yeah. and how kind of uncomfortable it is and difficult it will be. And even yeah. now, you know, in this part of my journey, there are aspects where I'm like, I... That's hard. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm just there yet or whatever, but like, that's the point is it does take um, this trust and it does take, I think, community to support and to yeah. allow a better way. I think, yeah. I think that's a wonderful point. Yeah. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. You know, as you were talking about the, like the difference, the difference is power, self-interested power, and then power 
on behalf of, for the sake of, in solidarity with mm. others, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I, it just is so striking to me, Andrew. I know we, uh, we, if we grew up in white evangelicalism, we were, one of the first things we learned in youth group is why did Jesus have to die, right? He died yes. for our sins, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. when, when you take that question to John's gospel, uh, John says, Jesus had to die because uh, the, of self-interested power. Like there's this moment in John 11 where the religious leaders say, Jesus is gaining power among the people. If we don't stop him, we're going to lose power. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's no, there's no uh, like reckoning with, hey, look at the good things. Look at the miracles. Look at, look at how, look at how the poor are being lifted up and uh, look at look at all this beautiful jubilee stuff happening there's no mm-hmm. accounting of that there's only accounting of what will this cost us right and we don't want to lose the power we have so it's better for one man to die than for the romans to come and take our temple and take our power yes so yeah. so what, what you're naming is the logic that runs christian nationalism is the same logic that was convinced killing god was a good idea Yes, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it's the power of empire, right? And mm. whenever we marry whatever religion and Christianity is is right in there, when we marry it with that type of power, I think it is more than willing to sacrifice whoever, including mm. Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, and Gosh. that, I think, is key. That's a yeah. wonderful point, Matt. Well put. Well, yeah. I, 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 it feels like I'm crazy. At Bonkers Town is where I feel like I live because, uh, <laughs> you know, we can— like uh, we can talk about this stuff, um, and there's all kinds of biblical data. Y- your book goes into the history of mm. of how we got to this place. Why Christian nationalism is such a seductive and yeah. influential ideology, like way of being for white Christians in the U.S. And there's there's tons of reasons. It makes sense. This isn't like a collective psychosis. There's like you you can you can see how this mm. develops and how this yeah. emerges, and it makes its coherence and makes sense, right? Yeah, totally. Well, and I think, Matt, it's an important point, too, where um, we need to humanize those who might see the world differently than us, right? There is a coherence to this. It does make sense. And Mm -hmm. you do have to sacrifice something. And so, you know, when I listen, you know, I listened to a podcast with Tony Perkins a little while back, and this was from years ago, but, you know, he's the leader of the Family Research Council. Like, we would differ on probably almost a lot of stuff, let's just say that, <laughs> right? But as I'm listening to him explain why he turned to Trump and started voting for Trump or whatever, you know, it's this process. And again, yeah. I would differ on, you know, the decisions that he made. But um, through this lens and understanding Christian nationalism and how closely inter- it's intertwined, I think by doing that work, we can then see folks not as, I can't believe they did that. I mean, they must be crazy, you know, all this stuff. But that, they're humans and and what they're thinking about and taking into account, they're motivated, right? And understanding that motivation, I think, is key. And so when we can do that, then hopefully we can start to converse with them and ask them questions and be able to interact and understand that it isn't I mean, there are people that in politics and civil society are just bad actors, but for many Americans, they felt as, you know, these are my two choices and one or the other. And if my community and my pastor are saying, hey, this wedge issue, you have mm-hmm. to fall in line or else. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? I wouldn't want to give all that up. Um, mm-hmm. It's very difficult to. So yeah. I think, again, your your point's important. And, and so by understanding the Christian nationalism 
in this yeah. cultural framework, we can humanize, we can talk with, we can work towards. And at times we're going to have to oppose firmly, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be moments where we say, no, you yeah. can't pass this legislation. You can't treat yeah. these other folks this way, but yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really important point. Yeah. I, uh, Andrew, I wonder if, if, you know, maybe this isn't inside the scope of your book, but I, I wonder if, um, just from your experience, uh, mm. I, I see a lot of what you're trying to do in this book and, uh, and on this interview in terms of helping people who are, you know, like us. I mean, and most of the people listening to our podcast are not, <laughs> you know, they're probably not going to be offended by hearing this podcast no. about Christian nationalism. Yeah. They're going to be yeah. like nodding their heads and thinking, yeah, yeah, this is exactly right. And I, I think what, what you're trying to do is empower us to humanize those who are caught up mm. in this ideology, right? So that we're not... Yeah we're not villainizing them and maybe entrenching like contributing to the entrenchment that, that they may feel, you know, they feel mm -hmm. embattled. And if we engage in certain ways, they're going to feel more embattled. But I wonder if you have any practical, you know, like your book is full of data, but like one of the most maddening things to me, I love teaching. I love showing people things, how they make sense. One of those most, most maddening things to me about our cultural moment is that that doesn't even matter. People just mm. like, well, you know, do your own research or that's just one, that's just your opinion, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I think of the dude from, uh, what's that movie? That's just your opinion, man. I feel like that's the <laughs> attitude that a lot of people have. Like yeah, they, yeah. they just can say fake news or, you know, um, you're, you're an ideologue. Mm. I don't know. Do you have any practical insight on like engagement with what, what's helpful in those mm. environments? What, what can we do as people who are convinced about the importance of this and see the, the, the tragic results of Christian nationalism in our conversations with family members, with friends, with yeah. church members? Like, what can we do? Like, what, what's helpful, what's not helpful? I don't know if you can yeah. give us some practical advice. No, that's, that's great. Um, you know, in talking with someone just recently, um, he's studying, you know, conspiratorial thinking um, mm -hmm. from a theological perspective. And he, had, he has said... Uh, you know, you can't really come at some of the quote unquote and in, in quotes <laughs> facts, right? That they might say with another fact, right? It just, yeah. that isn't going to do the job. Mm. Um, and so I think there's a number of things. And so one way that we can do this, and so in the book, I try to provide expressions of Christianity folks who are taking those steps. Um, and, and so in there, <clears throat> one of the things that I think consistently happens um, that we can do is um, to, to firmly and gently stand where we need to stand to side with the marginalized. And so just by choosing to um, be counted among the marginalized, I think that sets an example in some mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. it, it's hard to just ignore when it costs us something. Right. Um, they're going to wonder why. And that's so I good. think it, that's simple, but then we just, we have to do that. I think the next part is, um, and this is something that, uh, you know, a concept within sociology that I think is really helpful, is this idea of plausibility structures. And so yes. these are the, the social arrangements that provide support for meaning and belief systems. Right. So we are all a product in some way of the relationships that we have. And when all the people around us believe the exact same thing we do, we have a very strong plausibility structure. Mm. Um, but like on my journey, I can look back and as I interacted with folks who didn't necessarily believe and value the same things as I did growing up within white evangelicalism, I then start to had to think about why I believed 
what I believed and why I valued these things. Mm. And so now that plausibility structure was not so strong. Um, I had to, it wasn't taken for granted anymore. And I think, again, our embodied presence and then too, asking questions and maintaining mm. relationship. And there are going to be times where we have to say, you know, we're just not going to have this conversation now. Um, or, and I don't think that's bad. I mean, yeah. there are going to be moments and it may be to the point where you just can interact with someone, but to mm. the extent that we can, um, to then ask questions, to highlight. And again, it isn't like fact versus fact, um, but to right. ask, well, where did you hear that? Or um, mm. how do you know that's true? Um, or, you know, I, I wonder about for this person when they, you know, yeah. this refugee, what their experience might be like. Yeah. I think in those moments, then it's kind of the pebble in the shoe and they move away from it. And something that I think is difficult for me sometimes, but I see it in my own life, um, is that it's a journey and it takes mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it, it really, on on my part, and, and I think for others, it's being committed to allowing folks to take that journey and mm. do what we can, but to recognize too, it may be that now we're just going to have to be on opposite sides and we need to focus on lifting up those who are being crushed and oppressed. But it doesn't mean that in a year or two that person may yeah. not come around. Um, yeah. And so it's that's a long game, um, yeah. but it's, I think, yeah. important. Yeah, I, I think uh, your, your point about that actual solidarity with, with the oppressed, with the marginalized, I think that's such a key part of this. Yes, yes. Not... Not just because it's a powerful witness, you know, to the person that you, you hope will change their mind, but because I think it gives us something, it, it makes our work not just about changing someone's mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the work You're isn't right. mainly, hey, my, you know, my, uh, my, my uncle with the weird beliefs, like if I could just get him to stop watching Fox News, man, That'd be great. That's my mission. It's like, yeah. no, our mission is so much bigger. And I think that will expand for us when we find some actual solidarity with mm. the oppressed and with the marginalized. Then it's like, oh yeah, this is the main part of my work. And then every once in a while, I got to see my uncle and we'll have a conversation. Mm. But, but that's not like all that I do. Yeah. So I think that's a really, that's really helpful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I, yeah. Think the, I think the solidarity is the way to get past the, the fear. Um, yeah, you, you, mm -hmm. you talk about fear of the other, and I think that what we see Jesus do, and what we see Jesus goes in, Jesus is from the other, mm -hmm. right? We miss this as a Galilean peasant, um, and he and he decides to be to empower and bring honor and status to the other, which is why, which is why the people with power get so cranked up at him, right? Yeah. I mean, eating and drinking with sinners, they're not mad because Jesus is not have not like is friends with them. He's mad right. because the meal was the place where social capital was accrued and accredited. Yeah. Mm. That that yeah. meals yeah. were power broke brokering. Yeah. In the ancient Near East. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's he's letting the wrong people into the uh, elite club. Well, yeah. It was was how they saw it anyway. Yeah. 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 Yeah, people who don't have diamond status are now in the Delta uh, <laughs> right. lounge, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> gosh, there's so much to talk about here, Andrew, and I. your book is so helpful. I, I, I like the way that you um, bring together in a pithy, it's, it's a pithy way, but, it, but it's not simplistic, how these mm. different elements of like racism and xenophobia and misuse of power, how they all contribute. And it's all part of this social architecture that makes Christian nationalism appealing 
um, and and cohere. Mm. Um, I wonder if, um, as we close, like what are some of the ways that you, in your life, in your convictions, what are some of the ways that you have found that are are faithful ways to oppose this, to confront Mm. it? Mm. Um, I think if I could just, I don't, I don't want to answer your question for you, but I think one example, what I mean is like you write books about this and you teach about this and yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's some kind of truth telling, some kind of reparations of truth that you're bringing. Um, yeah. and, and I guess maybe say more about that. And also what, in addition to that, um, are you doing? Yeah, that's a really good question and fair. And to be really honest, I always feel kind of guilty, right? Um, because so much of my life still is so privileged and sheltered um, mm. that, you know, I need to think more and do more. I always feel like there's more to do. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, some of the teaching and research and writing, I do see that as um, perhaps part of, of yeah, what I can do and should do and try to leverage that in some way. Um, I think, you know, one that really stuck out to me was... Um, thinking about where I can give resources um, and be able to give in such a way that gives up control and gives up any sort mm-hmm. of say in how they're used, but to, mm. to those um, who historically have been blocked access to building up resources in this country. Um, yeah. So, that's one way that I, I see really is helpful. And again, you know, Matt, it comes back to mammon, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where um, a lot of this plays out. And I think mm-hmm. too, in our own hearts. And so, um, yeah, I constantly feel guilty that I'm probably not doing as much, but that's one way that kind of helps me um, or that I've tried to do is, you know, based on other life circumstances, I can't, I can't physically be a lot of different places yeah. um, based on, you know, I, yeah, my, my family life and two kids with disabilities, but I can, I can give some money. I can give money. I can support those causes and, and write and speak. And so those are the things. Um, but then I think too, as much as we can, um, continuing to, to be that, that witness and to interact, um, and, um, do, do what we can to hopefully provide some embodied witness to those who we're still connected to, but may see the world differently. Um, just to continue to do that. So yeah, I, I just feel so inadequate in answering this, this question, but I think yeah. that's part of kind of what I, I see myself doing and, and where I'm at right now. Yeah. If I can name just something else too, I think that you're doing Andrew and this book does is it, it helps Christians for whom Christian nationalism scandalizes their conscience. It mm. helps. It's looking at them and saying, you're not crazy. Yeah. That right. that yeah. you have God's heart, mm-hmm. that um, that you're free to act on conviction. You're free to move toward what's what feels like faithfulness, even when even when the faith uh, the faith police around you say that you're wrong. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that, that, I think I think I've noticed that uh, I don't know how to dismantle something that trades on uh, mammon, uh, whiteness, <laughs> and patriarchy. I you know I don't know how to do that. But yeah. what I do know how to do is care for the people that that system hurts. And so right. uh, you're a brilliant scholar. Uh, you're a good dude. Um, yeah, you are. You inspired Ben <laughs> to shave his head. He, yeah, he, he, he first interview you. with you, he was like, I got to do this now. <laughs> yeah. um, but but you, really, you really are caring for people, Andrew, in this book as well. And so I just thank you for it. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, appreciate the work you all do both um, on this podcast and Gravity Leadership, but too, I mean, as you're with people, right, and leading mm-hmm. a congregation that mm-hmm. I just want to reiterate like how how big a job that is and how difficult mm-hmm. for, for American clergy and Christianity. Um, that is really hard, difficult work, and it takes so much courage. And so for you all mm-hmm. and those listening who are in those spaces, um, I just want to, yeah, mm-hmm. the biggest tip of the hat and to also say like, I don't know, I see you, we see you, and Thanks, it's so hard. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pastors are not all right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a lot these days, but um, it is. It really is. Uh, Andrew, well, thanks for being with us today. Where can people uh, find your uh, more access to your work or interact with you online? Yeah, so I'm on um, a couple forms of social media, so Twitter and for for now, um, that place is changing <laughs> rapidly. Who knows what's going to happen by um, the time this comes out? Even yeah, but yeah. but trying to yeah be yeah. too available on um, Instagram and then on Facebook as well, just to to be there. But um, yeah, those are kind of the key social media ways that uh, folks okay. can 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 uh, yeah follow or stay along. So yeah, and we're all we, we're all have agreed to continue to call it Twitter. Like there's okay. just. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. There's no it's way. It's never going to become anything what? other than that. No. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, wild. It's so. What a time to be alive. I know. What so a time weird. to be alive. So the book I'm going to spend. Yeah. Forty-four yeah. billion on a brand, and then I'm going to not use the <laughs> capitalize brand. on the brand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. I don't know. More Matt, do you, do you think it's ethical to have billionaires in society? Go. <laughs> <laughs> now you've done it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Folks, on part two of this podcast. Yeah. Part two. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I'll just say that um, most church fathers don't. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what a bigger barn is other than a billion dollars in the bank. Yeah. The book, again, is American Idolatry how Christian nationalism betrays the gospel and threatens the church. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Great to see you again. Yeah, peace. You know what, Andrew? Uh, I could talk to Andrew for a long time. Yeah, he... Um, I I was super impressed, and I guess this is what you get when you, when you sort of study... Uh, Christian nationalism from sociological perspective, like he's super clear about what he's kind of talking about. And um, I don't know, I found so many of his little phrases so helpful, self-interested power, which is such a helpful delineation of like the kind of power that's unhelpful versus, you know, the way of using power that might be more helpful and how it's yeah. different, you know? So stuff like that. Um, I just found it really, uh, really clear, really cogent. Um and to use another C word, really compassionate for, you know, this isn't a polemic. It's not a um, no, screed. Not, good right? word. Good yeah. word. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just got off two weeks vacation. I've been saving up these words. I haven't had an occasion to say screed or polemic to my I family just, on vacation. I just, I just picture you on vacation with these words like tucked in between your gums and your lips, you know, just kind of, yeah. you're holding them like marbles Filling in your mouth. mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ben, why are you talking so weird? I'll just a lot of words. I got the best words up. and I'm holding them for the I'm podcast. Holding. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> listener, be blessed. You know, no, in all seriousness, uh, his compassion uh, for those he's sort of writing about the people mm-hmm. who are 
it's quite inspiring to me, I think, because um, it's a way of, yeah, it's a, it's a way of humanizing uh, people who are caught up in this, which is, yeah. I yeah. think the way to, you know, the, the true villains are the people who know what they're doing, right? And who are manipulating all this kind of thing. Most people who are caught up in this are that, they're caught up. Right. Like they don't know what to do with their fear and they're caught up in it. So anyway, I found this to be a really helpful interview. And I know, I know um, Andrew was trying to get uh, rev my engines with mentioning mammon there, you know, towards mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but really Christian nationalism is a highly profitable grift. Oh yeah. You can make millions off of Christian nationalism. And yeah. many of the people who are, um, doing the most to propagate and sustain the ideology are grifting. Yeah. yeah. They, don't they don't believe in anything. They, they don't, don't, all they believe in is well, money. They believe yeah. in mammon. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they're using people, using vulnerable mm-hmm. people, using uh, people that are, you know, impressionable people who are, you know, a lot of Christian nationalism is built on white resentment and white yeah. fear, right. Mm-hmm. That we're being replaced, which is mm-hmm. a Nazi theory and other, other kinds of white supremacist fears and angers. And they're mm-hmm. stoking that fear and anger to make money and gain power. Um, yeah. And so when we talk yeah. about how mammon works, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not talking about like, like going to bed with like, money tucked under your pillow and like Scrooge McDuck. kissing it. Yeah. I'm not talking about <laughs> Scrooge McDuck, but mammon has a certain logic to it. Yeah. Things seem good. Yeah. If I, if, it, if I can make a profit, I should do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And there's, and yeah. And it's an unquestioned, you know, like, um, I can't remember. I think we actually talked about this after we stopped the, <laughs> stopped the recording. So apologies. We, we did have an after party. Yeah, a little after party where we talked about um, the way that ideology works, the way that um, sort of some of the most powerful beliefs work. They work underneath the surface, things that seem unquestionable. You know, um, they seem, yeah, like you can't even ask a question about this. The obvious good of it is so obvious uh, to everyone. But I I think that, I mean, it was, um, you know, Mammon's obviousness like that, that's actually, I mean, you look into white supremacy, the origins of the theory that white people are, you know, the, the pinnacle of humanity that's rooted in mammon. Like that, that wasn't rooted in bigotry. That wasn't rooted in, Oh, uh, here's these other people that I don't like personally. And I would like to invent a theory about why we're better than them. It was invented to justify the exploitation and extraction of colonialism, which is rooted in mammon, right? It's like, Oh, we like all your stuff. And we'd like to have it for free. And so we're going to invent a theory about why we, why we can take this without like being crushed under the weight of guilt about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like they needed it in order to justify the mammon fueled exploitation and extraction they were doing. Yes. Anyway, that continues to this day. Yes. Well, we're releasing this in the middle of August and uh, you know, you know, it's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Lots of things. Fall, September, my birthday. You have a birthday present for me yet, Matt? I should just uh, keep. I should just keep letting you guess until you guess what I was going to say. Christmas, <laughs> Valentine's Day, 2026, Lent, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor no, Swift coming uh, to Indianapolis. You know, nine eleven in November, 2024. 9-11. 9-11 okay. has a, oh, 9/11. a powerful, okay, okay. powerful uh, place in sort of a Christian nationalistic mythology. Yeah. Um, so in, in lieu of that, and so you can, um, you know, have something to say to friends and family who are, you know, 
more susceptible to Christian nationalism, I say to you, uh, knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? 9-11. 9-11 who? And you said you'd never forget. <laughs> nice. That was a, that was a good, I mean, that was a great attempt at a segue. I tried to derail you um, by talking about Taylor Swift, but you managed to stay on track. You know what? I need my, okay, we got to get mm-hmm. out of here. Yeah. Uh, but my wife mm-hmm. and my daughter yeah. are, are they called Swifties? I think that's correct. I think they're Swifties. And uh, T-Swift is coming to Indianapolis mm-hmm. like next Just year. Just announced. Next year, November 1, 2, and 3. And you have to create a Ticketmaster account to get in the queue to have a chance to buy tickets. Right. And it's so my, insane. It's insane. So my wife is recruiting me okay. to go to Ticketmaster. To get an extra chance. To get an extra chance to go to Taylor Swift concert. Great idea. And I don't want to give Ticketmaster my name. Oh. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is the point at which you have to decide uh, between your wife and Mammon. I mean, this is this is a tough choice here. You know. You know what? You don't even want to give him your name, Ben. Yeah. As Christ loves the church, <laughs> I'm willing to sacrifice, make a sacrifice of my email address to Mammon this in order an, to love my wife. This is an ongoing joke that my wife hates, <sighs> uh-huh. but I will do mundane, mm-hmm. simple things. Right. Cleaning in, up in, your within, own dishes. With an earshot of her whisper, mm-hmm. as Christ loves the church. <laughs> and she hates it. Yeah. Uh, rightly so. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, of, I think, I think the joke will have, you know, those jokes that start funny and then they get annoying. And then at some mm-hmm. point they become funny again. Oh, you think it's going to have a little bit of a, it's going to boomerang effect. I think that's called officially in the business. I'm committed to the bit. You're committed to the bit. Yeah. All right. We'll see how far it takes you. I'm going to go to Ticketmaster now and sign up for this thing. And I'm going to take a screenshot of it, send it to her. And then a little recording of yourself. Nope. Just the Christ words. As Christ yeah. loves the church. As Christ loves the church. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I might do the same. Uh, I've heard that I've heard the tour is great. I mean, how much tickets going to cost though? A lot. Yeah, We're going to need to sell some stuff. Yeah. You're going to have to right. just get a fifth job. You know, my, uh, my brother texted me and was like, Hey, I just saw that Taylor Swift is coming to Indianapolis idea. Rent your house uh, out on Airbnb, oh, Airbnb for those three days. You'll make a fortune. I was like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. It's a too. great idea. I'm only yeah. like, well, we're just 10 minutes South of where she's going to play. Where's she playing? Is she playing up in Noblesville? I thought she was at Lucas Oil Stadium. Oh, she's at Lucas Oil. I think she's at Lucas Oil. Maybe you'll have a house by then close to Lucas Oil and you can rent it out. Yeah, I can rent it out maybe. That's how you you afford your mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) We're counting on Taylor Swift Airbnb rates. Well, All right, listener, that's probably enough from us. Yeah, we got into a little local shop talk here. So anyway, uh, we'll see you next time. You know what? Can I just put something in? Can I put this out there? I guess I can because uh, I didn't let you. <laughs> well, when you up. said this, it's here. To, here we go. So, so. Um, Andrew was talking about fear, power, and violence as the things that run Christian nationalism. Right. And I thought of, I thought of the antidote to those, or the anti, the antonyms, or the okay, uh, the heroes that rescue the, us from fear, power, and violence. Uh-huh. I wonder if that wouldn't make another podcast. It could. Just, I mean, just for us to talk about? Yeah, like a fo- as a follow-up conversation. 
Yeah. Like, I, I think we need better imaginations for how to oppose mammon. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, oppose Christian nationalism mm-hmm. and mammon that doesn't just use the tools of Christian nationalism to oppose it. Right. right. I don't think we have a great imagination. Yeah. Like I was talking to, okay, we're just going to keep this going. Here we go. I, uh, I was talking today uh, to somebody on uh, Twitter about uh, how women get verbally harassed and abused by mm-hmm. cat calls and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. I said, hey guys, knock it off. Stop doing this. Women don't appreciate it. And if you see it happening, call, call a man out. Call the guy mm-hmm. out who's doing it, right? Mm-hmm. There were a number of men who were like, yeah, right. And then, you know, and then, and then basically you'll get assaulted. Or like, oh, no, that'll go wow. great. See see if you don't get hurt. <clears throat> and there's so many things revealed in that. Yeah. But as it relates to this conversation, what I want to highlight is that there isn't an imagination for how to de-escalate an mm-hmm. unjust situation that doesn't end in violence. Yeah. This is, this is the product of living in a culture that's addicted to violence, mm-hmm. is that we think the only way the only way to protect ourselves is to be able at any moment to perpetuate murder that's the yeah. only way to protect ourselves right. and i think this is a product of the the ideology and the idolatry of well mammon but also mm-hmm. christian nationalism yeah and and so i think we need more robust imaginations about mm-hmm. how to stop injustice yeah in a way that doesn't perpetuate violence Right. And in a way that um, may cost us something. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what that reminds me of, I think you're right, we need an imagination for it. Because I think that's the first the first barrier, for right. the, for the first problem is that we can't even imagine that anything else is possible, right? And so we, we don't end up doing it because, well, I don't want to cause a fight, you know, or get hurt. Um, but then I think beyond the imagination of it then is training in it, because there is, like some of this is ideological, some of this is born in our imaginations about what's possible, but some of it is also embedded in our bodies. Like we've got, we've got such a thing called a fight or flight reflex, right? And yes, so yes. if somebody's attacking me, like something's going to happen in my body that's going to happen automatically without my conscious, you know. And so we need training if we're going to counteract that. And you know what I, th- uh, what I was thinking about is um, the kinds of things that they did in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., like there was a lot of training involved in what nonviolent protest looked like. Yes. And they, they prepared people to be attacked and they prepared people to say like, here's what you do when you are attacked. You do not retaliate. Here's what you do. You go limp. Like there's very tactical, practical things that we need training in yes. even beyond the imagination for you know, what it might look like to de-escalate uh, a situation instead of perpetuate the escalation. What, what anyway. might it look like if a, if a discipleship program was about how to love people in self-emptying, nonviolent, costly love in mm-hmm. spaces of violence, fear, and misuse of power? Yeah. What if that was a discipleship program? Yeah, I think uh, you'd get You'd have to you'd have to create the imagination for people to sign up uh, for it. You know why would you sign up for it? But I think once the imagination's there, then the the hunger to learn how uh, follows. All right, we got to get out of here. Maybe we'll put that in this podcast too. <sighs> yeah, maybe maybe we will. So all right, buddy. All right. Well, uh, nice to chat with you. Uh, by the way, listener Christy is up to her eyeballs. Some of you may be missing Christy uh, recently, but she is up to her eyeballs in uh, graduate school. I would say uh, struggling. 
up to her eyebrows even. It's even higher than her eyeballs. Yeah, even, yeah, just like an inch higher than her eyeballs, just on her eyebrows. And what I struggling, she's doing okay. She's just sort of, uh, it's just a lot of work right now. So she can't join us for as many of these as she would like. And as we would like. Yeah. And as you would like. But anyway, that, keep her She's going to make a glorious return. A glorious return, uh, a nice little thesis project uh, that'll that'll help the church, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, y'all. We, All we right. we're we're out of here. We'll see you next week, uh, listeners. We really appreciate you uh, being part of our little online yep. community here, and um, talk soon. We out. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable. We'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.